We're looking for two oil boys who can grease us up before each competition. You do the thing you're scared shitless of, and you get the courage after you do it. That's the way it works. That's the dumbass way to work. It should be the other way around. You'll have to excuse my friend. The town is back that way. You should make a radical change in your lifestyle. I mean, the core of man's spirit comes from new experiences. That's the way it works. Don't worry, we'll catch our break too. Just gotta keep our eyes open. All right. Good enough for government. Good enough. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of the Looks Like We're Lost podcast. I am Dustin Redazel, and joining me is a man capable of PRing a Peloton ride on accident. It's Tommy <laughs> Cooksey. I thought about you because you're so intentional about your your PR attempts, and uh, unlike you know when I'm training in CrossFit and stuff, it's I'm not to the point yet on the Peloton where I'm ready to like say this is my PR day. And uh, I, I had a I had a trainer tell me one time, uh, he's like, you know, once once you get above thirty, you don't get many good days, mm. and if you're feeling good you go for it. We're talking about squatting. He's like, you know, if you're feeling good, put the extra plate on and give it a shot because you don't get those days where mind, body, everything, you know, everything is, is feeling like it's ready to go. So after I the like warm up, I was like, the, the legs feel good. I'm going in. <laughs> I like that spur of the moment confidence. I tried to uh I tried to throw a spur of the moment PR at a 45 minute ride about I don't know 4 months ago mm-hmm. and we had a, a former former colleague a uh a girl we worked with at Cisco who was on the ride just happened to be at the same time uh-huh and uh <laughs> I just, I totally gassed out around like minute 25, 30. Oh my, so you're floundering. (laughs) She just, I see her coming up the leaderboard and just like hopped right over me. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? It was, I'm not saying it was that moment exactly, but it was definitely a contributing factor to, I'm just going to be mentally prepared ahead of time. Yeah. I get it. I'm not. I'm not gonna roll the dice. Well, you on... know, f- 45 minutes is is a haul. So you can you can gas out pretty quick on that one. Mm-hmm. Tw- 20 minutes. You know, toward the end, once I saw that, like we're on the last song. It was a song I liked. Like it was um, a Pearl Jam song, and I'm like, I'm just gonna white knuckle this bad boy. <laughs> I'm going to feel, yeah. you know, you feel that feeling where you're like the hair stands up on your neck and you're like, I'm, I'm borderline going to pass out here, but I know there's an end in sight. So I went for it. It was fun. It was good. It was really good. Hey, I'm proud of you, man. And I'm proud of us. We made it through a first quarter of our podcast, three straight months, no breaks. You took a week off. You celebrated a full quarter of podcasting. I'm going to <laughs> Disney World. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to devote this call to our first quarter earnings. We're going to discuss the uh, P&L. No, there's no P&L. I, hey, I am. I can't say. The podcast grew consistently for three straight months. Yes, Hoorah. it did. 
There we go. And uh, the the format has proved so successful that I've noticed some um, people are out there copying it. Just like, hey, can we put two friends on a podcast and just let them chat about the events going on, the happenstances of the world? You see, uh, Obama and Springsteen are doing our thing now. Those, oh my gosh, so unoriginal. Those guys. Yeah. 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 Bruce it's called me. I was like, "Who are you?" Oh. I was like, why is the guy from the Jeep commercial calling me? <laughs> hey, they love it. They, they love America. They're optimistic. Now, I saw it right before we hopped on this call that uh, I got an email from Spotify, a podcast I might be interested in. It's like, <laughs> talk about targeted marketing. It's yeah. like, who's, first of all, who's not going to be interested? But, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, Bruce is my guy. I've listened to every song he's ever made, I think. Even the old Steel Mill stuff, people, some people aren't even aware he was in a band called Steel Mill. Nope. And uh, I've read his, read his book. I love it. And, you know, Obama's okay, too. He's all right. <laughs> he did an all right job. Well, I'm proud of us, because especially, I, I can tell you, um, you know, people that follow you and people that know you have seen the accountability mirror, and they know what you're about. I can be a little bit flighty, probably is the best word. I'm the kind of person that will text you, you know, this is pre, pre-kids, pre pre-everything. They're like, oh yeah, we're going out to this uh, this restaurant. You should come out. And I'm like, yeah, I'll text you. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. So so you've, e- even on days when I haven't felt that good, the uh, the joy and excitement of, of coming, coming on and kind of having a conversation, even if we just talk about, you know, some BS it's been worth the price of admission for me, which is free, I should add. It is very free. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, it's been it's been good, it's been rewarding. Uh and I'm just glad look with without mentioning uh any names because I didn't clear it, uh I had somebody who talked to me today about um starting their own podcast. Mm-hmm. And they were asking a lot of questions around like, uh, you know, the, the standard stuff you get. Hey, what kind of equipment do I need? Hardware, software. Um, but then getting into some things about, you know, do I need a niche topic? Or like, can I just like have conversations about anything? And I was like, well, if you want to do conversations about anything uh, with anybody, don't expect to like be ramping up a broad number of listeners all the time. Mm-hmm. Like like I just mentioned, the competition for attention in a podcast, it's like we're going up against President Barack Obama. Yeah. And yeah. possibly the greatest living American rock and roll artist who just decided, hey, we're friends and we're just gonna chat and that can be free for everyone to listen to. Exactly. And the marketing and PR teams behind those kind of efforts, like, you, it's not going to work. Now, if you want to say, like, okay, this podcast is about bow hunting. If you're into bow hunting, we're going to get into, like, what's, what's the best twine on your comp? I don't even... Yeah. I, I should have picked a topic I knew a little bit about. <laughs> Just, yeah. You're you're talking about bow hunting like you're like you're selling bows like back in colonial times. 
<laughs> well, you're going to want to make it out of a nice cedar. <laughs> oh, like, man. But, like, people will get yeah. into that, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. Uh, so just trying to explain, like, you got to do it for you. Yeah, if, exactly. If the podcast is anything other than uh, your own, like, growth and development, like, it's it's a tough haul, and it's got to be a full-time job. And yeah. the fact that this is not, yeah, uh, it deserved a little Disney World vacation, but... It did. Uh, not, to, not to be all meta on the actual podcast, I wanted to ask you... I guess two things. Yeah. The the big event of the the past week at least in my like little news sphere is the death of Rush Limbaugh. Mhm. I wondered first and foremost, did you have any sort of like childhood relationship to the Rush Limbaugh show? Was it was it on, was it around? You know, I think No, I it wasn't. It wasn't. I think I was, my ears were saved from that. Um, and maybe for the better, I think. Um, but no, I, did you, did you, was that, was that something your parents maybe had on or friends of family? Well, this is what's weird about it is my, my dad would have it on sometimes. And it wasn't like, like my dad is so far from like, uh, a political extremist of any kind. Right. But it's like he was, he'd be driving around during the day and like your options were local Kansas City sports talk, which mm-hmm. was his usual thing. Of course. But if you got bored of that, like it was Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't an NPR guy. Right. Uh, so I think it was just kind of like the limited landscape of the time. And then when I found myself kind of falling into that in my first job out of college where I was in outside sales for local TV, and same deal. It's like, man, I cannot listen to one more silly rant about Trent Green and the the Kansas City Chiefs offseason. Yep. What else do we got here? And you turn it on to Rush Limbaugh, and... I I didn't really have a political lens through which to see the world. Sure. And I can see, because of that experience, I can see how his confidence, his talent, and the fact that he was just there could be seductive to the lonely ears of an afternoon driver. Sure. As As it was for me. And it's very odd now like being many years connected from consuming anything Rush Limbaugh adjacent even mm-hmm. to hear all the reaction around like the people I kind of do listen to now, like either being like, ah, you know, I don't like to speak ill of the dead ranging from that being the, maybe the more conservative take to ding dong. The witch is dead. Yeah. You know, I, I I read somewhere, someone said it probably best, in, in my opinion. And it's actually this guy, uh, he's, it's it's weird that, and I don't know, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I found LinkedIn becoming a more like compelling um, social media platform than I did in the past. 
Um, we getting old. <laughs> I well, I know, I know, man. But it's people are actually posting like real content, um, and not just come to this webinar. <laughs> like you know what I mean. It, and there's this guy. I think his name is Dan Price. Um, he's the CEO of like Gravity Payments or something like that. I'll have to send you some of his stuff. But he mm. he's got a very for lack of better words, I'll just call it kind of socialist view of of running a company. And he's really chopped down his salary as CEO. He's made, um, you know, uh, entry-level salaries like $70,000. Um, he had one post about, he said something about like, uh, you know, you know what would be really good for small businesses is universal health care. Because it Hmm. costs my little business millions a year to pay for healthcare and the tax and and my employees. So anyway, what I was getting at is is um, he told this sort of anecdotal story about how you know his parents listened to Rush Limbaugh and you know he did too and and he was his his business was going to be featured on one of Rush's shows and he listens to it excited and his dad listens to it excited and Rush just rips apart his business and it's like oh well you know if this isn't going to work. Yeah, you know, this this is going to be a proved example of why socialism will fail. And so it was kind of heartbreaking for this guy and his for his dad and so forth. And so at the end of his little, you know, his little his little post, he said, you know, I'm I'm sad that a person has died. I'm sad that a man has died, and now a family is without a father and a grandfather. But I'm glad that his show is gone. <laughs> is what he said. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, it's kind of a weird way to think about it, but, you know, if if you don't – look, 50% of the, of the country probably agrees with everything he says, and they're allowed to do that. Um, but for those that don't agree with it, it was sort of toxic to their way of life. So kind of liked how, that, how, how he said it, and he had a personal connection to it too. No, that is a good take. And I, there's kind of always a – problem with separating the art from the artist you know, in any situation mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as we've seen a million times uh starting most most starkly with the notoriety around like Harvey Weinstein and then everything that the me too movement turned into and going forward is that rip through hollywood and being like gosh how do i consume this guy's movies like yeah. you know it's uh that's always tough. Yeah. And I guess it was just weird because I do feel odd about someone dying and of course it's news, right? Like it just happened. Sure. And and yet we weren't talking about Rush Limbaugh 2 weeks ago. He everything he ever said was on the record 2 weeks ago just like it was now. Yeah. And yet now it's like an opportunity for everybody to come out of the woodworks and like reassess where do we stand on the Rush Limbaugh issue. And yet somehow the stakes are lower because like he's actually not going to be doing the show anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just odd to hear people argue about that because, uh, well, I guess let me put the, Put the question this way. I'll kind of step away from that. But like with that as context, like when you are consuming news, like take in 
podcasts you listen to, audio books you listen to, you know, w- books you read, stuff you read on the internet, everything that's just information input. Mm-hmm. Is timeliness that big of a factor to you? Are you a current events guy? I ebb and flow, man. I, I really do. So there's some times where, you know, I, I find myself checking into, you know, whether it be CNN, usually it's CNN, and I'm just checking in to see what the latest, what the latest and greatest is. But I, I've I've long kind of taken this stance, and 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 it was at one point it was more contrarian than anything. I was like, I don't pay attention to the news because the majority of the news that I see is sort of depressing and divisive. And, you know, if something's major, I'm going to find out about it. I'm going to know about it. Um, and it was historically met with, well, don't you want to stay up on things? Don't you want to like be aware? It's like, eh, not, you know, not really, not really anymore. And I think, you know, things like this are a prime example is sure. Yeah. You know, new, the news is a man named Rush Limbaugh passed away and he had, was, he was quite famous and, but, but then the opinion after that, it's the opinions of, well, what did his show mean? And yeah, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, it, I, I don't, it's really hard to say, do we even consume real news anymore? You know what I mean? Like everything's a hit piece. Yeah. Everything's in a you know a, uh, um, an op-ed. So, I don't know. Are, are you? Do you try to stay on top of like current events? I mean, some days I'll wake up and say, "Hey, well, I don't want to say it right now because she might start talking." But, "Hey, uh, digital device that plays in my house, you know, give me the news." <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, it's it's NPR's like national and local, you know, fifteen minutes of news. No, I I am intentionally trying to care less about yeah. current events. And like I think this Ted Cruz in Texas thing is a great example. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Should the man have been should he have been where his constituents were in a time of of struggle? Well, yeah, it's good optics, but also like what the heck was he going to do? Like right. In in the modern world with technology and a team, he could do everything from Cancun, you know, half-wasted on margaritas or whatever the plan was down there. Yeah. That he could do from, you know, the governor's mansion half-wasted on, like, 21-year-old bourbon or whatever Ted right. Cruz is drinking in Texas. Yeah, right, right. Like, and the guy's probably sober. What do I know? Yeah. But... <laughs> I'm just like assuming this like yeah. drunken senator. <laughs> Deny. <laughs> but like, you know, it's kind of a worthless thing for me personally to spend that much time thinking about. And and yet it mm. is there at the forefront. And because people are talking about it, I kind of want to have a feeling about it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I'm currently rereading Matt Taibbi's The Divide. And it's a book he wrote in 2015 that unravels a ton of uh, a ton of issues around inequality due to the wealth gap in America. Yeah, but he's you know he writes it in 2015, and it has a ton to do with the housing, the mortgage crisis of 08, and everything that preceded that that led to it. Like yeah. his research reaches back into uh, the Clinton years. 
uh, with a lot of what happened in the welfare programs under Clinton. And to me, it's probably the most important book I've personally read about uh, the economic impact of bad politics and how we unintentionally create injustice in a system. And yet it has nothing to do with current events, right? Yeah. And there's this there's this quote, I don't know who said it, but uh, it's something to the effect of, I'm not interested on staying on top of things. I want to get to the bottom of things. Mm, yeah. And I think the business of journalism has gotten to a point where it is directly in conflict with the mission of journalism, which is to really understand the truth of events and the impact they have on the common man and is now more interested on just uh, over-exaggerating the significance of events so that the common man will care regardless of impact. Yeah, there, there's much and so less. For, yeah, go, go ahead, go ahead. I have a thought, but you go ahead. No, I, I mean, that basically just gets me to the, the whole thing. Like, I'm Rush Limbaugh is dead, right? Yep. Uh, and that is the news, and it's really frankly, not that interesting. Nope. Um, particularly for two guys who just said, we haven't, you never, <laughs> I haven't listened in a decade, decade plus. Right? Yeah. And yet there it was just like absorbing space. And then we had like a meta reaction to the way that we react. And I guess my my net net of all of that was just like, gosh, I am... Even when the news isn't really about two sides bickering, like not really, it still kind of is. And I'm just yeah. a little fed up. No, dude, I, I totally, I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, man, I, there are things that I can't even like begin to wrap my head around. Like, so, so one, <laughs> one of the things that completely blows my mind is like, there was this really bad snowstorm in Texas. And, you know, I, I have family that was directly impacted. You know, they, they lost power. They are, they're well broke. They, don't have, they haven't had water in like a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are very smart scientists in the world who are saying these are the types of things that can happen when the climate becomes unstable. And we believe that we understand why the climate's unstable because of X, Y, and Z. And this is science. This is what's proven everything in our lives that we can. And there's this subset of people that are like, no, it's not that that's not the reason. <laughs> it's Bill Gates, Joe Biden, and China. And they created the weather and it's like okay, what? It's it's a it's a it's a snowstorm. Like yeah. This isn't a this isn't a politics thing, you know what I mean? It's like this is a storm. There's no I don't know what what makes people more apt to believe these wild conspiracies. And I actually listened to this uh, do you ever listen to the armchair expert? I know you've listened to a couple with with Dak Shepard. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I probably catch about an episode a month if like somebody really jumps out of me. Yeah, so so they have this thing they do every Friday now, uh, called Armchaired and Dangerous. Is this the and conspiracy guy? The conspiracy guy, and and he did one on nine eleven, and all the conspiracies behind you know nine eleven. And, you know, what Dak said was, was really 
kind of it kind of struck because it's like, well, this is why people can believe this stuff is it's like, you know, to think that one person or a, a group of 12 people can get on a plane and, you know, completely change the course of history. Well, that means there's 12 people. And there's 7 billion people in the world. So there's a 7 billion, 1 in 7 billion or whatever. There, there's 7 billion threats to you and your family safety. If it's just, and this is going to sound you know kind of ironic, but if it's just your own government <laughs> creating illusions of uh, a terrorist attack to make a case for war, well, at least it's just your government. Like it's not everybody you walk past is a threat and it's like you know i i kind of i kind of see that i get that uh because it's easier to digest it's easier mm. to, and, and it feels safer in some weird way you know what i mean Mm-hmm. no that so. does make sense and <laughs> i you know, I say it makes sense even though it's like never the way i would think but i it's can not, understand it it's nonsensical uh, but to an emotional creature like we are, I could see where people would feel. Uh, because look, the weather could strike at any time. Texas could get another snowstorm this week. But if it's just, you know, this uh, corporate elite causing it, well, maybe he's done. <laughs> you know, what I, mean? I don't know. Maybe that's the logic. I don't know. Well, something a thought I've been playing around with uh, in my own writing is. Like the, I guess like the the ultimate purpose of of truth and like, or understanding, you know, like why when something is confusing or difficult, am I vexed? Like, why does something bother me? And mm-hmm. why is it when I feel like I understand it, it stops bothering me? Mm. You know, and I guess what I've come to and this is not an original thought by any means, but is that understanding the truth puts reality behind you so that you can deal with the reality in front of you. And it's like, I got that. I'm on stable ground. I don't need to obsess over this anymore. I can look forward. Yeah. Time to, time to direct the ship. And I think that's true of like trauma from our past. Like, uh, when we were talking with Jeremy, I discussed a little bit about how there was something akin to like PTSD where like my identity no longer fit with the world around me. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. couldn't sync things up and it took me a long time to like make sense of all that and understand it all so that yeah. I could get going in the right direction. But I think that that works even if your personal truth is not quote-unquote, the truth. So if you have something that explains everything and you can just lean into it, and this is, there's an argument that this is the primary use for faith, right? Everything happens for a reason, and you don't have to understand it. You can just chalk it up to, you know, God, Allah, I'll be reincarnated. It doesn't, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't have to stress about it anymore, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I've... I've got a reason for it. I can move on. And I think that's what a lot of conspiracy does for people. And, you know, I'm not going to say, like, lesser minds or or anything. Like, that's not for me to judge. But 
for some people, there is a safety in saying like, oh, I understand this in a way that other people don't. So like, um, my way is okay. Yeah. They can yeah. justify their direction in life. Yeah. So, you know, it's, everybody has to do a little bit of this because we're, we're limited minds and we've got to sort what we can sort and get our attention back to what it needs to be. And do you think, you know, do you, th- do you think, cause I like what you said about the, um, the, the truth. Once you know the truth or the reality, that's the truth. You can then deal with the reality in front of you. Mm-hmm. I might, I chopped that up, but this is basically the premise of what you said. Do you think that's one of the reasons why there's such this hesitation or pushback on re readdressing the history of, our country. Cause I think, Oh yeah. One, one, no. one of the books, one of the books that, that grace, uh, grace mentioned that I, that's on my list now is all the lies my teacher told me. Mm-hmm. And it just, to me feels like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, well, to simplify, you're going through this with, with kids, you get them sleeping through the night and you're like, got it. They're sleeping through the night. And then they, and then, and then they have a sleep regression for a week. And you're like, no, no, that's not supposed to happen. They are sleep trained. They can sleep. And it's sort of like bringing up these things that that happened six months ago. And so maybe it's a similar thing where people are like, no, I've dealt with that. I learned history as I learned it. I don't want to re-understand it. No, I have got a pretty, what I think is a pretty solid theory on this because I've thought about it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, One of the reasons being... Both my my father and my father-in-law share, like, a searching mentality for how they feel about the fact that, like, history is being rewritten. They're, they both love history. Okay. And, and so when they see things like statues being pulled down, their emotional reaction is initially negative. And they've been trying to, like grapple with that feeling. So I've been in a lot of conversations around that. And then it hit close to home. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but um, in Raleigh, North Carolina, there is a nice little shopping district called Cameron Village. It's one block from me and my wife's house. Yep. Cameron Village is being renamed to the Village District. The reason being the Cameron family that owned the land that the area was named after uh, apparently was one of the largest slave-owning families in North Carolina. And, look, I, I didn't read that closely on the article. If there was, if it wasn't one of the largest, is like, they owned enough, right? They, right, right. So, <laughs> right. So whatever, I read the same article. The, yeah, I read the same article. Okay. So I was like, uh, yep, yep, I get it. I know where this is going. So, so, yeah, so our neighborhood that my wife and I live in is called Cameron Park. And it's a historic neighborhood. Uh, a lot of my neighbors have lived here for multiple decades, some over 50 years, and it is very unsettling to them. The The neighborhood email chain is like lit up with a lot of well-meaning people, and it's it's a pretty lefty-leaning neighborhood in general. Yeah. And so like a lot of people want to do the right thing, but it hurts that it's like changing the name of their neighborhood. And I think what it is, is when history gets revised, it feels like 
a piece of you is dying. Mm. And we all kind of know this, that at some point we die and our life just becomes a distant memory. But to watch it happen while you're alive, like, oh, these things were significant, these things Mm -hmm. that I touched and was a part of, to watch it all kind of like turn to ash while you're still here, like, no, no, it wasn't. Like when you talk about Cameron Park, like they're not going to know what you were talking about. Right. And we can intellectually know that that is illogical. It's like, hey, it's fine. It's History's not being rewritten. We're like, it was Cameron Park until this point, and now it's something else, and the reason is because the Cameron family. Like, all the history is still there. Yeah. But the emotional feeling is that a part of you is being erased. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And so it just takes people a little bit of time to work through it. And I think that a lot of negative reaction to that initially is it's just people have to process. And some people can do that internally. Some people can accept it and move on right away. For some people, that is a more difficult effort. And, you know, a little time, a little patience, a little, hey, the world isn't ending, and it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, you said something to me uh the other day about about that movie uh, and, it, and I don't want to be a sp- I don't want to spoil any uh recommendations, but I think it was called Greenland. Yep. And yeah, you you sent it to me and I then I read kind of what what uh, Rogan Joe Rogan posted about it and it's 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 so true and I can't wait to watch it because we we watch movies on these things like plagues, right? The outbreak. And we watch movies on you know what's uh, idiocracy, right? Mm-hmm. And we're like, and and you know we're like, oh that yeah, that's crazy. And then and then we realize that can happen. Like like th- what people were going through in Texas this past week. You know, it's you know sure Jake Gyllenhaal exaggerated a little bit, but in the movie 2012, these people probably felt like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're stuck. You have no water. You have no power. You have no idea. You don't even have the clothes to keep yourself warm in your house. What do you do? And it's like, I mean, you know, there's all these jokes, especially in the corporate world. You get on a call and you're like, oh, what day is it again? And they're like, oh, man, is it still 2020? You know, there's all these jokes about 2020. But we experienced a lot of things in 2020 that, uh, you know, is is hist- is history. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. And it's stuff that we never thought like, like, you know, we went to, we went to Disney world, uh, last week and it felt weird to do something that would otherwise be one of the most normal things you do as a family of four. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I don't know, man, it's, it's just kind of bizarre. Yeah. I, gosh, I went to the mall to get my, my MacBook fixed and it was this is like the first time I've been in a really crowded physical space in, yeah. since everything had happened. And I know other people have been out there. I just haven't. And it was unsettling, for Do sure. You th- someone, someone asked me this the other day, and, and this is, you know, maybe it's not as much so for like, for like us, we're fully formed brain adults. But for, for kids, you know, let's, let's call it 20, let's call it 25 and under that are going through this pandemic with having to wear a mask and maybe not shaking hands or hugging people or, you know, hand sanitizing every 20 minutes. I personally think there's going to be some long-term 
psychological impact of this. I don't know how great, how grand it will be or how, how broad it will be, but it is something that I'm a little bit maybe fearful of having two young kids during this time. What do you think? I don't, th- not really. I think, uh, one, I just think that kids are so pliable. Yeah. Like they'll, they'll rebound, but probably no more than like how many more people have a fear of flying after nine eleven. Yeah. That's like there's, true. there's definitely some, right? Like it was, mm-hmm. there was, there was some immediate major concern yeah. And then eventually people flew again because they needed to get places. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And I think that the need to get places is no more significant than the need to hug people. Like yeah. people will want to touch, people will want to be close, people want to socialize and like all that'll overwhelm all of this eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hopeful. The, one uh, one thing real quick on the, you know, changing history feels like erasing a bit of yourself. Yeah. Do you have that thing when you're cleaning your closet or like, gosh, I have too many clothes, like the, the tidying up thing where you can feel the resist, like you haven't worn this shirt in three months oh, man. and yet you're like, am I really... <laughs> I I wore this to Memorial Day 07. Dude. It's a, so it's actually a little bit of a problem. So I have it's especially with t-shirts. So I have like my nice t-shirts drawer. Those are the ones that can be worn in public, you know, just about anywhere. I have my gym t-shirts drawer. I have my lounge around the house and do yard work t-shirts drawer. And then as part of my, part of a uh, Rubbermaid tote, I have my summer t-shirts and tank tops. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, I told you, it's a problem. I have some, some of these, and they're like long sleeve t-shirts that fit me when I was like 145 pounds. I'm a strapping mm-hmm. 175 now. They do not fit. <laughs> like you, As soon as I sit down and <laughs> recline, you can see my belly button. But I'm like, but you're right, it's like, in my prime, or not in my prime, when this fit me, it fit me really well. And I mm-hmm. liked wearing it. And yep. so, you know, or like, you know, I have a a shirt that's got the three wolves howling at the moon. No 35-year-old man that has two children needs to own that shirt. Yeah. But I do. And it's really hard for me to get rid of it because I'm like, it's well, kind of funny and can be worn on like Halloween. I was going to say, you're going to have a couple opportunities every decade to wear that ironically. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, it's the same. Like, wh- like I, I have I have like a, a Dallas Cowboys jersey. What, what do I need that? Uh, I'm a grown man. The Cowboys aren't even good. So what? Like, what do I? <laughs> like, I don't wear but it But they will house. be. And. And when they win the Super Bowl and you can take an Instagram picture with that Dad. used Derek Thomas starter jersey that you've been wearing since you were 12, it'll be worth it. I can yeah, appreciate the, that. I only bring that up because that's what people are going through. Yeah. They're going through like an expanded version of that that they don't understand when they hear you know, this history-altering news. Like yeah. they're, they're rewriting the textbooks. It's like, first of all, 
all all of that stuff that we think is history, like you said, like lies my teachers told me, it was kind of arbitrary. Like everybody kind of knows this. Like history's written by the winners. That there's yeah. multiple <clears throat> accounts of what actually happened. You know, we didn't have like the Council of Nicaea for every single book that was ever printed, and yet there's plenty of people who say the Council of Nicaea was, you know, in question. There's an alternate history for that too. So I I just believe that on an emotional level, it is the same thing of I can't let go of this shirt. Yeah. And I was just I was just writing to like a future letter to to Walter. And talking about those exact things, man, something you'd brought up from a podcast we both listened to prior, I think the Whole Foods CEO on Rogan saying ideas are like clothes. Yeah. You, You wear them for a time and when they don't fit, you can change them in. And that's as true for countries as it is for people. Yeah. And so I'm... Yeah. I'm less I'm less concerned about all that stuff because I think as human beings as as illustrated by how difficult how universal that difficulty to let go of old clothing is. I think as human beings our tendency is to want to build bridges. They feel solid. They feel like the last. But really the best thing for us to do when we come to like a a stream is to not spend a decade building a bridge. Like, just swim across and keep going. Hmm. You, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's it's just you've got a destination, and it doesn't do you any good to carry all that baggage. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure there's probably some people who want to, like, wage uh, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it issue on me, but, like... You know, I'm just a guy with a family. I'm not trying to steer an empire. Right. It's funny, as we talk about this and, and you know, we, and we think about, you know, the history books and it's, we, we've, I've always learned history as a very static thing. This is what happened and that is exactly, and, and that's it. It's like the news. This is the news. But if you really think about history, it's pretty fluid and mm-hmm. sort of always morphing because new perspectives come into light. It's like, you know, it's like this. It's like if let's say that we, you know, I went back home to a family reunion and they put me in charge of the grill. Who am I kidding? They probably put G in charge of the grill, but they're putting me in charge of the grill, right? <laughs> And they asked me to recount the event. Well, I'm going to say, hey, the burgers were great. The hot dogs were great. You know, the, and then you, in what I saw, but then the people who ate the burgers or the people, like the kids that were there or the uncle that was, you know, just kind of enjoying, you know, this is last reunion before he, before he passes away. And it's like, as more, that's what's really happening, right? More perspectives Mm -hmm. are being allowed into the conversation and, you know, not the person who was the penman. But the person who was sitting next to the penman might have had a totally different experience as to, because we can never really know the why, mm-hmm. right? You know what I well, mean? That, it's like we can we can only infer it. So, and that's what gets me kind of back to the timeliness thing is when we're all reacting in real time, 
you haven't had enough space to aggregate the long view mm-hmm. and the ripple effects of what has occurred. Yeah. And look, Texas freezing over is probably a, a silly example of this, but like maybe my my electricity bill is going to go up in two months because like the the stress on the national I don't know that much about the way power works, but the stress on the national grid will finally ripple towards North Carolina. And it's like, oh, we're kind of hurting all over because we had to like lose. You know, Texas is a huge state. They generate, yeah. I think, more electricity so than any other I, state in the nation. I actually think Texas is, their, is on their, they're the, the only state on their own grid. <laughs> Fantastic. Cut them loose. <laughs> but my, my point being, like, the, the sum total importance of that event and getting all the views it affected into the register to make what we would consider truly accurate history is a long and arduous process. Mm -hmm. And if I want to be accurate with my relayance of the significance of that moment... Like, I probably need to chill anyways. Like, the yeah. current event is not that important, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. And now, that's, that's obviously not true in disasters where you are called upon to act. But sure. I think when people are close enough in proximity that their personal action is needed, they recognize that. You don't have to, you don't have to tell them, like, hey, this is a big deal. But if you're chilling in North Carolina like we are, like... Check in on your family if you have it. Otherwise, like, if you're not going to do anything, your intellectual effort is better spent elsewhere. Yeah, there's I forget, and I forget who it was. Some podcast or some article I read where the guy he he doesn't watch the news at all. He gets the he gets his newspaper on Sunday and he reads it on Sunday. And people freak out when he when he says that, and they're like, "Well, you're a CEO of this major company, shouldn't you be more concerned with this stuff?" And he's like, "If it's that big of news, it'll get to me during the week. Yeah. If it's not, I'll get to it on the weekend." You know, and and I kind of like that because there there's there's too much. You know, go back to what you said. Journalism is sensationalism. It's you know how how much emotion can you can you create from this from this headline people don't even need to read the article just just from the headline that determines your success not how accurately you portrayed an event or how detailed your recount of it is so yeah oh, couldn't agree more you ready to uh jump into the weekly segments yes sir let's do it all right I'll probably want to come back to that LinkedIn thing sometime. I wonder if having your your company and your job title attached to your social media profile like creates a a better environment, like a an implied layer of responsibility that people. So take it's funny. There it's funny you say Twitter. that. Yeah, it's funny you say that because for the most part, yes. And then today on that same guy, I think it's Dan Price. I need to look it up for sure. But he's he's a pretty good follow on, on LinkedIn, which sounds bizarre to say like a good follow on LinkedIn. <laughs> but nah, man, I get it. But but I just was like, well, let me dive into the comments on this thing. It's the same thing. It's just a bunch of poop. It's wasteland. Throwing. 
Uh, absolute wasteland. Absolute wasteland of uneducation and emotion. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to say miseducation. To... Yeah, miseducation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're certainly educated. They have a LinkedIn sure. profile. <laughs> Got a GED, I'm sure. <laughs> and hey, we all know public education in America is the tits. So. Hey, man. You know, we're both products. Actually, you you were you weren't you were homeschooled, right? Or at least Till for a portion. Grade. Yeah, you were. It's great. Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I came into middle school far ahead of my, uh, I guess my peers, and within a couple years' time, <laughs> dragged right back into the masses. <laughs> the uh, uh, one little one little tidbit I just wanted to add on to the damn price thing, and then we'll we'll hit the question. Uh, the healthcare thing. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in the divide, uh, Taibbi's book. Um, he cited, or it might, nope. It was my re-listen to Jordan Peterson, my, mm. my annual re-up. Okay. Uh, to that Canada, one. Canada per capita has more entrepreneurs than America pretty much precisely for the healthcare reason. Like, it's not just about the cost to the small business. It's, I can take this risk even though I have a family on starting my own business because yeah. we're covered. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a wife and kids, and it's like, I just, I don't, I don't know if I can afford it. I don't know if I can step out like that. So yeah. it's just an interesting wrinkle that I don't think we always think about. 100, couldn't agree with that more. All right, question of the week, the finding ourselves portion. And I wish I could have warned you because it's a doozy. Oh, boy. There's going to be a lot of either editing or radio silence. Let's see. (laughs) In what ways do I want to be like the people that raised me? And that part should be good. Yep. It's all compliments. Yep. And also, what's important for me to avoid repeating? Doozy. A doozy. Uh, Let's start with the good stuff. The good stuff is the good stuff's pretty is, is pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, you know, my my folks were pretty involved, especially when we were younger. Dad was the coach of the teams. You know, mom always packed lunch, always made breakfast. Um, We did stuff as a unit. You know, we 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 prioritized family vacations and family family dinner. And you know what? I think that that's if I had to pick one singular thing, I'd say uh, we ate family dinner together. Gosh, until I started, maybe until I went to college, we would Mm. sit at the table all four of us and we'd eat no TV, no distractions. Um, and I think that was, it was really just kind of a coming together at the end of a, end of a day to re to reestablish the family unit. Mm -hmm. So I think that there, there was definitely a cohesiveness of our family that was, it wasn't an accident. It was intentional. So. Yeah. Yeah. We had that too. And, it's funny you don't really appreciate it until you're you're older and you've gone years of 
like not giving any thought to the family yeah. dinner, and then all of a sudden, just eat it's at the like, coffee table, baby. <laughs> <laughs> just just eating George Foreman chicken and some green and some canned green beans at the coffee table. <laughs> I honestly feel that at this point in my life, I've eaten as many meals without a table as with a table. Mm, yeah, it's got to yeah. be close. Yeah, the uh, oh god. I was gonna say we we actually so that's something that that me and Annie do with the kids. It's a little chaotic, you know. Milo falls down half the time. Everett doesn't eat half the time. But we make the point. We leave our cell phones somewhere else, and we sit down and we try to. You know, like yesterday, you know, one of the things uh, I'm trying to to do is distract him so he'll eat. So I have to like tell him stories about how I used to fight dinosaurs and stuff like that, and. It keeps him engaged long enough to like eat five green beans and five bites of chicken. <laughs> so, mm. you know, hey, tricks yeah, will pay off. Yeah, uh, my, I've kind of I I've told this story. I don't know if I've told it on this podcast though, but uh, I think that if I was going to to narrow it down to a single thing about my parents. Uh, my mom and dad are still married, uh, and as far as I can tell, they're each other's best friends. They they do almost everything together and seem to legitimately enjoy each other's company yeah. and just hanging out with each other. And, you know, now that I... So I'll, I'll share the story first. When I was... There was one time when me and my brothers were getting a group spanking, one of these wait till dad gets home situations. And so we, you know, I think my, my older brother had really, he had gotten to a point where he's probably too big for my mom to be, my mom's 5'3", like a buck 30 tops. And actually I probably shouldn't be throwing up female weights. I have no idea. (laughs) She's a petite one fifteen. Come on, yeah. It's like that number sounds low. I guess, uh, but but she's small, and and you know my older brother's a big dude, and so even by the time he's in middle school, you're talking about like, your older you brother's know, a big dude. All of the Redazels are big dudes. <laughs> well, he was he was big early. Okay, okay, okay. So. You know, it just wasn't happening. So, you know, we were we were three boys under middle school age or around there, and we just, like, gave her hell or something. And so my dad gets home. Who knows what work was like? And he, the first thing he's got to do is come spank his kids. Like, Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, spanking's not a thing. It worked for us. I'm not going to get right. involved in that. But Yeah, right. Uh, so he comes in. We might have dropped trowel. We might have not. <laughs> We get the spankings in. At least me and my little brother are crying. Yeah. Right? And my dad sits us down. And whether he said it this way or not, it's the way the memory stuck with me and the way I've retold it. And he said to something to the effect of, boys, I love you more than my own life, and I'd do anything for you, but that's not half as much as I love your mother. Wow. Yeah. And I kind of know... Maybe I don't know, but it feels to me that that's impossible now that I have children. Yeah. It's like, ah, you know, it's a different kind of love, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but, but to say it's like half, like, come on, <laughs> where's, where's these percentages coming from? Yeah. 
And and yet for us boys, it was like unifying, and it changed the. You know, it became the defining thing about what I thought about in the devotion of a marriage and yeah. how high a priority one's partner needs to play in your in my life in order for us to be successful. Yeah. And like I'm not really I'm more bent to engage with ideas and words. I like I kind of like handle everything analytically and I like taking an intellectual approach to stuff. I'm not like a natural connector in an emotional way. Uh, You know, I mostly hope that like people are entertained by me and I don't put too much pressure on them. Right. And so they'll hang around. Yeah. Yeah. But like seeing that, like I'll never forget it. And it is something like I really hope that in, two decades time I've modeled for my own children. Yeah. You know that it's funny you say that and, and I'm guessing, and I'm, I'm being a little bit, um, assumptive here, but I'm, I'm guessing that you and your brothers didn't feel any less love from your father. Oh, you, you know you what I mean? You kind of know, right? Like, yeah, is, I think as a kid, that's another good thing to point out. Like what your parents say only kind of matters. Right. right. So they say that only 7% of emotional connection is issued by the spoken word. Like 38% of it is tone and 55% of it is body language. Mm-hmm. And kids, because they're less intellectually evolved, I think are more attuned to that 93%. Whereas the the more you get in your head and the more read you are, the more educated, the more you start analyzing the 7%. Yeah. Like as a kid, you know. You know right. if your parents love you or not. Yeah, right, right. It's like exactly. in your bones. Yeah, and it's so I don't want to, you know, we we could we could do a whole podcast just on this, but I know. Uh, <laughs> but uh yeah, that was one of the one of the more it kind of sh- it kind of shook me uh when we were in premarital counseling. And uh you know, our ours was, you know, with with Tanner who's a, who's a pastor at our church. And he said there there's a hierarchy it's love for God, love for your spouse, love for your kids. And it's not like you love your kids the least. They're at the bottom. But by loving your spouse, and of course loving God, but we're talking about, you know, spousal. By loving your spouse, you are showing your kids what love looks like. And you're modeling that they're in a loved and cared for household. And, you know, I, I, think, I think that, especially in our generation... That that was flipped mm-hmm. upside down, where the kid became the top, and that's probably one of the reasons there's so much divorce. Is once the kids are gone, what's your marriage built on? Right? It's it's a foundation that is now gone and left and doesn't need you anymore. Mm-hmm. So so that's the biggest. That's one of the biggest takeaways that 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 we had. Both both Annie and I was like, we need to be sure to prioritize things like date nights, doing things for each other, checking in with each other on the evenings, making sure we're good. Um, and even little things like, you know, when I when I used to go, go to an office, you know, when I'd come home, I'd go to Annie first, right? And I'd, mm-hmm. you know, make sure I said hi to her, gave her a hug and kiss, and then, you know, the boys can attack me. So it's really cool. That's smart, too. Yeah. Little details like that. 
they really do stick with you. I like yeah. I've got images in my head of like my dad like getting home, like showing affection to my mom, helping her out, like that you don't know what you're dealing with when you're a kid. Like you just right. see it and like you feel good about things, I guess. Like you just it never occurs to you to be worried. Mm-hmm. And only now as an adult do I realize like those things aren't accidents. Correct. Like, like, yes, I did just get lucky. It's like a version of winning the lottery to have good parents, but I didn't really just get lucky. Like my parents made that happen. Mm-hmm. Like it was, you know, love is a skill. Yeah. And you know, they, they worked it hard and yeah, I, I don't need to ramble about that, but yeah, yeah it's, it's something that, Probably isn't like my grandest ambition, right? But it's probably like if I if I fumble the ball on it, it'll probably it would be probably my greatest regret. Yeah, like there's a lot that. of other things I could go that I could like fail on, and I could wiggle my head around it. But you drop the ball on this one, and like it sticks, it stick with me my whole life. Yeah, yeah. Dude, as far as things like that, I that I would try to avoid pitfalls. Gosh, that's so. I think the thing for me, I guess the one. I guess let me preempt it by saying this: I'm an unfinished person, and I'm only two years into this parenting thing, and. There's a lot of things, you know, the question isn't necessarily about parenting. It's just what's important for me to avoid repeating. So Mm -hmm. it could be anything about the way my parents lived. But I guess I'll keep it on parenting because that's the prism through which I see their life. And I, I think in my parents' effort to teach us the right things... They approached certain things with a great deal of certainty. And that this is the way things, like, Mm. and this is the way history happened. You know, God is real. A lot of things that were just like, it felt like it was 100%. There is no question. Yeah. And I don't think that they were wrong in taking that approach at all. But there was something that happened and maybe this is part of my makeup. It's so difficult to say how much is just like the way you're born versus the way someone acted that I felt like I wasn't allowed to question or grapple with. And so I hit a lot of things, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, it started with small stuff like, you know, hey, TV is bad for you. We're limiting the time. And so, like, I would would sneak TV, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And then, like, I had no education around other, not really until I was, like, I don't know, maybe late high school to, like, other beliefs. And, look, it's a lot to put on on anybody to say, like, 
educate your child on all the possibilities of the world, especially like somebody like me. I'm a very, like on the big five psychological character traits, I'm through the charts on openness. Like it's very hard to offend me with an idea. Like I'm, I really want to know about all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Just a curiosity. And so I, I think that I, I would hope that some sort of ambiance of doubt, I think about this quote all the time, like the opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Mm. And I want my children to be confident that everything is okay, even when things seem absurd or ridiculous. Like, it's okay that things don't make sense, and you can talk to me about why they're confusing and know that I don't have all the answers, and yet we'll search for all the answers with you. And that's such a freaking tall order, and I don't even know if I'm complaining about something or saying I want to avoid repeating something. I know what you mean. But there was, like, there was an ache I had that I couldn't recognize until much later in my life. Yeah. And it, there's, there's no fault like I was a really happy kid. Yeah. You know, I think I generated a lot of that ache myself. And maybe it's unavoidable and maybe it's not even bad. So, yeah. I don't know. With that's not really an answer, but it's just me I wrestling no, I, with the Yeah, no, absolutely, man. The topic. All right, man. Recommendations then we're out of here. Boom. I got two and they're super easy. Um first one was uh so we went on, I went on uh, PTO last week, um, was off Saturday, Sunday. You're always off Saturday, Sunday, but I was off Saturday through Wednesday and I made a commitment to myself. I wasn't going to check work email. I wasn't going to check any type of messages from work and I didn't and it was fantastic and it's probably the first time I've ever done that. Um... And I came back into the office, well, my office, on Thursday, and it was like the the you know the 200 emails that were waiting for me didn't seem like an insurmountable mountain. It was like a let's get it done, let's figure it out. So so that was one. If you're gonna take time off, do it. Like take the time off. I love that. Yeah. The other one, you know, this one's coming. Um, it is the podcast. I'm going to look it up just to make sure I get it right. Nurture versus Nurture with Dr. Wendy Mogul. Um, mm-hmm. It was featured on the Armchair Expert. I think it's, I think Armchair Umbrella is sort of their Dak Shepherds kind of branching out into other, other realms. But it's sort of like one off therapy sessions with parents who are not necessarily struggling with, but figuring out the whole parenting thing. And with just an episode and a half in, I've already taken like literal action items that I've applied directly into parenting young children, uh, like immediately. So, yeah. 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 I think the, uh, I listened to the first episode on your recommendation and couldn't, couldn't second it strongly enough. Yeah, and for parents, if you don't have kids, like you you're don't probably have kids, not going to waste of time. Love it that much. Yeah, yeah don't nope. don't worry about it. <laughs> it's it's like it's like reading what to expect when you're expecting at the age of twelve. Like it's like you don't need to worry about this right now. 
But I've already thought about a couple times in our conversation. One, when you were talking about the pyramid, uh, the priorities of love and a family, yep. God, spouse, children. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she talks about how like your kids should know when they're boring you. Yeah. Right. This is this also overlaps with a Jordan Peterson twelve rule, which like don't let your kids do anything that makes you dislike them. Yeah. And like I think about that all the time. Like if I allow this thing to happen that is like annoying for me, it's going to keep on happening and I'm gonna create like a bad relationship with my own child. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit of like what is so I, I I took this note down from that podcast where the dad is talking about how he doesn't want to put his brainwashed issues onto his kids. Mm -hmm. Like he thinks he's got a lot of like improper thinking and he wants to shield his kids from that. And it made me think about like 100% I've felt that, but the idea of putting a barrier between me and my children is the exact opposite of what I want. I don't want to shield my kids from me. I want to hold them close. I mm-hmm. want to be I want to have an intimacy with them. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to do that is to fix myself, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't be clinging to certainty and say like, "Nope, this is the way it is. There's not room for anything else." Because like I find strength in that. Because if my kid thinks any other way, like then we have a, you know, we've we've got something, we've some resistance, some tension, right? So mm-hmm. I have to find comfort with my own doubt if I want my children to have comfort with their doubt, yeah. and I have to I have to be genuinely curious if I want them to be genuinely curious. It's funny, and then I don't have yeah. to shield anything. Yeah, it's funny because that ultimately these sessions go from like parenting sessions to like, you know, let's let's talk about you. Like, I don't want to spoil the second one for you, but on more times than not, or you know, more times than I can probably count, she, it, it's a single mom, and she pauses and she says, "Okay, well, we let let's first talk about he. I need you to have some self talk to the little girl inside of you that's offended that your seven year old daughter doesn't want to come play with you." Or doesn't want mm-hmm. you to read to her. And it's like, there's so much of parenting that really is just talking to the inner child in yourself and mm-hmm. saying, you know, kind of just, and, and calming that, calming that down. So yeah. Anyway, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's been really good and, and been, you know, the, the, the therapist uh, is, is really good and really engaging. Yeah. I like her. She's, she... <laughs> She's got some sass too. She yeah, she does. Yes. Yeah. She's yeah. she's a sassy old gal. Yeah. She's like, "Oh yeah, your 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 daughter and her incredible story. You mean you're not interested?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, "Oh, I want to shoot myself in the face." <laughs> when that guy said Yeah, they that, don't take yeah. themselves too seriously yeah, yeah. on a serious topic, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. My recommendation, I'm rereading it. I've, gosh, I cannot pump it up enough, but I've talked about it enough. The Divide by Matt Taibbi. Uh, my second read, it's, I was a little nervous. We're reading, it was my recommendation for my book club. And so I'll lead a discussion on it. And I was a little bit nervous about like, I don't know, like I only read it once. Was it really is what I thought? And 
now I could not be more thrilled with the recommendation as I'm yeah. going back through it. It's like, yeah, this this thing is a banger. And uh, for anybody who has been interested in why there's injustice in America and doesn't want to spend their spend their time going down all the same rabbit holes that we've discussed ad nauseum i think it is the most the most unpartisan unbiased explanation of why the rich get richer and the poor get poor and what that has to do with with race with geography with education with upbringing and it explains it explains a lot and i just like i i'm not going to talk about it anymore i cannot recommend it yeah. high enough if you it's ever next. take a recommendation from me like get into it audiobook it's next for me regular book yeah it's next and for me if you have the libby app my very first recommendation on this podcast you can read it or listen to it for free courtesy of your local Wake County library. Look at that. The gift that keeps on Boom. giving, Clark. <laughs> Dude, love being back. Yeah, man. It's like we never left. <sighs> Feels so good. All right, man. Have right, a good homie. one. I'll talk you to too, you later. Man. See you. All right, bye. Bye.